the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There are times you wake up and times I wake up and we're not alert and we're going to go on a long journey that day in the wrong way. That is very important for you to get that. I'm being gentle now, but this text is actually horrible because the whole of humanity has suffered significantly from that moment till now. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, our teacher and pastor, here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward and online at grace-bible.com. Today, we turn our attention to Genesis chapter 3. We'll focus in on the first 10 verses as we take a look at theology, theology that matters to God, and as a result, what happens when we don't honor God's theology. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand as we begin today's broadcast of Way of Grace. The same thing that matters to God today is what mattered to God 10,000 years ago. Theology matters to God. Yeah. Black lives matter. White lives matter. All lives matter. And theology matters to God. See, what our first parents are about to find out is that you can't play games with theology. Theology matters to God, so we look up, and his first two children, he had to kick them out of the house. you got to go, because theology matters to God. And I hope it matters to you, too. I want to kind of just help frame things a little bit for you, because you and I know that when you read the Bible, you are not second-party listeners. You are third party listeners. Have we agreed upon that? What that means is the vast majority of the narrative texts of scripture are designed to give us a reflection on a communication between the speaker and his audience and the audience in the context of the scripture is never you and I largely it's another group. So in the context in which we're reading this narrative discourse, and that has its own sort of theology inherent in it, you should know it by now as children of God. You ought to know that all scripture is given as a revelation of God's redemptive glory in Christ. It's not always clear to see, but that is certainly the case. And when we're reading narrative stories, no matter what their genre, whether they be metaphorical or symbolic or what have you, we must extract from them the moral and ethical and redemptive principles that God has for us. Is that true? Right. That's the nature of truth. That's the nature of wisdom in the context of communication. So what you and I are doing is observing how a man named Moses who was raised up by God also to arise, move, and go, 
called a people whose name was Israel to arise, move and go out of Egypt. He sat them down in the wilderness between 1500 AD and the coming of Christ. And for us now, some 2000 years more, which puts us at about 3,500 years from this event. He spoke to them about historical things concerning something that is extremely relevant in our own time. Three things emerge out of Genesis 1 and 2, and you need to comprehend them in order to understand Genesis 3. Moses talked to the people of God about origin, about authority, and about order. Origin, authority, and order. The Genesis narrative Chapter one and chapter two is not about the power of God, but the wisdom of God. About how God in the beginning, that's origin. God, that's authority, created. That's order. God lays out in Genesis one and two in the most eloquent of terms, his creative display and wisdom in the creation narrative. More than looking for how powerful God is in Genesis one and two is to look for how God is in his wisdom. Because where you and I are in our own lives is in a post Genesis one, two scenario. You and I are in Genesis 3 to the present hour. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, there are things about Genesis 1 and 2 you and I could never know empirically, scientifically, subjectively, intellectually, rationally, or theologically because we are post-fall children. We're children of Adam and Eve, but we're children of Adam and Eve after the fall. So mama and daddy often have to tell you what life was like before you was born. Y'all remember that? And because you had no idea that your mama was a sinner because, you know, mom don't sin until she tells you she was a sinner. And, you know, daddy was pretty cool if you got a halfway decent daddy. And, you know, both of them, they apparently were born in the church and raised in the church and they was always saved. They didn't have a B.C. before Jesus until they told you how crazy they was before Christ came along. Because all of us are post Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 gives us what is called a theocentric narrative dominant authority. Theocentric is Genesis 1 and 2. Theocentric, for those of you who don't get it, is God-centered. Genesis 1 and 2 The hierarchical manifestation of the narrative is God-centered. Genesis 1 and 2 is about God. Genesis 3 is this crazy switch from a God-centered dominant narrative discourse to a zoomorphic anthropomorphical dialogue of chaos. And we've got to build a bridge between Genesis 2 and 3 to understand where you and I are today. See, we all live outside of the garden now. We all live in the world of the fall of Adam and Eve. Would you agree with that? And most of us are promised by faith in Christ 
to get back to the garden in this more pristine state of Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22. We are headed home if we're children of God. Would you agree? We're on our way back to the celestial city. We are on our way back to the pristine order of all things being theocentric, all things being a pristine recreation of everything. It will be Christocentric and it will be filled with the idea that was initially given by God to Adam and Eve. Only they could not accomplish it without Christ. So they had an objective. They had a plan. Father had given it to them, but they failed to understand when to arise, move and go. Y'all keeping up with me? When to arise, move and go. Now, look at me. Look with me at Genesis chapter three, one, because we're getting ready to get into it. And I don't have time to lay out all of the fundamentals for you. I hope that you've been with me long enough to be able to fill in some of the gaps or simply pray. Because what wisdom often is about is not explicit articulation or expressions of truth, but inferred. Things that are there or not there in the text for you to actually be able to grapple with. I've given you some hints. We're in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be dealing with verse 1 and 2 for a moment under the first proposition. Wrong class, my sister. Wrong class. Wrong classroom, my sister. Wrong subject. I know that you were trying to get to the class where you could actually deal with horticultural enhancement. Since God gave you and Adam the, the, the responsibility of cultivating the land, but somehow you was a little sleepy, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, minute and you went into the wrong classroom. You found yourself in Marxism 101. And there are several subjects here that will be so clearly inherent now that I've given you a framework, and that's the goal of teaching, that will be obvious to you. First and foremost, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, in the words of the author, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. That is the first dialogue ever in the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 is a monologue. Genesis 3 verse 1 and 2 is a dialogue. And the dialogue is missing three critical elements in it, which makes this a tragedy narrative. And you need to know that. Anytime you're in a situation that depicts Genesis 3, 1 and 2, you are in a dangerous situation. I mean, if I wanted to, I could tell you right here is where you arise, move and go. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Because there are times when you shouldn't be in a certain place with a certain person or certain people, and certainly you shouldn't be talking to them. 
where you talk to the wrong people, it means you don't have discernment. So what we're dealing with in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 and the essence of our first set of points to deal with is our sister went into the wrong classroom. I'm going to explain that after we get through point number one. But have you ever done that? I did. Have you ever, have you ever, by the time you got to middle school, raise your hand if you did it. You know, you were supposed to go to room 121, you went to room 122, and it was a wild thing when you went there. Do you remember that? Yeah, you're like, what am I doing? I was in a Spanish class in the second grade for the longest time because my last name, which is Gistan, which is French and Creole, the D was turned into an O and it was Gistano and they thought I was Latino. (laughs) And so I'm sitting in there with my Espanol brethren at six years old learning Espanol. I didn't know the difference. They had misidentified me. (laughs) And, uh, There would be no way to reconcile this text with rationality or philosophical coherency and certainly uh, theological integrity without understanding that the movements of this Genesis 3 narrative are teaching us how you and I are frequently in danger of not being alert. There's no way to get this if you don't understand that there are times you wake up and times I wake up and we're not alert and we're going to go on a long journey that day in the wrong way. That is very important for you to get that. I'm being gentle now, but this text is actually horrible because the whole of humanity has suffered significantly from that moment till now across so many spectrums and dimensions of our experience. But it must be understood that what's happening in our account is teaching us something about critical subject matters today. Sub point one under point number one, the wrong class, my sister is you should have been alert because the teacher is a snake. The teacher is a snake. Now, it's important for us to work this through a little bit. I know that you're enjoying this just by way of its narrative. That's how God works. But I want to make sure that we press into this a little bit. So what we understand is that for some reason, my dear sister did not recognize the incongruency of the classroom setting. For some reason, she did not understand that right now she is repositioning herself and submitting to something that would do her great damage and not only her, but her posterity. Somehow she did not recognize that she should not be being taught by a snake. Now, again, we can make application across our own lives. Maybe it is that sometimes you can't recognize the snake as a snake. But that wouldn't have been Adam and Eve's problem. That wouldn't have been Isha's problem and Isha's problem. Ish, Adam, are the man, Isha, the woman. That wouldn't have been the man and the woman's problem in this context. Can I tell you why? They have been giving, given an assignment by the highest order to keep, guard, control, cultivate, nurture, and know every creature that God made. That means Adam and Eve, Ish and Isha should have already knew about snakes. Now, here's another reality that we got to work through. If I have your attention, you know, I'm teaching today. So you better drink some water, get hydrated because you're about to learn. Right. They were the ones who should have been in authority. 
They were the ones who should have been in a dominant position of naming, identifying, exercising authority over the creatures as a vicar of God. Am I making some sense? They were never supposed to be in a position where they are being authoritatively taught by an inferior creature. But of course, today I live in the deconstructionist mode. Now, I'm sorry, most of y'all should have uh, known this so that I should not have to sit up for 10 minutes and explain what deconstructionism, deconstructionism is. But I guess we have to because where we are in our society today is the effect of much deconstructionism over the last 67 years. So pastor explain to me deconstructionism. You know, I can only handle three syllables. OK, to deconstruct. To deconstruct, it is the act of taking all authoritative narratives, historical narratives, all literature, all data, all information, all particularly historical information that comes through the archives of history to lay out for us how things were and why things were and how things should be. It is the presupposition that you have the right to take old artifact material and tear it apart and make it to mean what you want it to mean under the assertion that the persons that wrote it didn't have any right to write it. Did y'all hear what I just said? Does that sound like the inference coming out of verse one? If you know your Bible, something is saying you can't trust God. You can't trust the author. Are y'all hearing me? You can't trust the author. Hath God really said? Now you can't trust him. You know he don't mean you no good. You know his job is to dominate you. His job is to control you. His job is to exercise hierarchical domination over you so that you don't have any freedom whatsoever. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? His job is to abuse you, to oppress you. And therefore, you should disrespect every piece of literature, tradition, historical data, the precedent of how life has been up to now, by which society has walked in order of the creative narrative and have been blessed and deconstructed. That's called deconstructionism. This is where in America, having been infiltrated by all of the crooks, and many of us know who they are at the highest level of gatekeeping, do we not? They are still working today, destroying every good science, every good literature, every good discipline that has helped us prosper, be wealthy and free as human beings. Because their goal is a systemic attack upon proper authority. It's important for you to know. Okay, so under point number one, you should be alert. The teacher is a snake. The apostle Paul had no problem taking my particular position and sharing it with the church at Corinth, who basically was a model of chaos, confusion and rejection of divine authority. That's the church at Corinth. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse two through four. Paul says, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you unto what kind of husband? Oh, no. Uno, one husband, in order that I might present you as a chaste version to Christ. Now, he must be a bridegroom because that's what bridegrooms do. Bridegrooms protect the bride and the groom until they come together in holy matrimony. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? 
Faithful gospel preaching is designed to protect you until you show up in the face of Jesus Christ and are fully married to him in the last day. Am I making some sense? Faithful gospel preaching, sound Bible-based preaching is designed to help you not go a-whoring and worshiping other gods. It's the goal of helping you stay in the pathway of a virgin so that when you finally meet your bridegroom, you have been safely kept by the grace of God so that when he sees you, he can see you with exceeding great joy. What Paul is saying to the church at Corinth is, you guys bother me. Look at verse three. For I fear lest by any means as the serpent did what? You see how he's taking ancient things now and plopping them down on the present? Isn't that what I told you that I do with you? I take the scriptures and I make them relevant to where we are. This is called prophetic teaching. It is not prophetic if the word doesn't land right where we are to give us a prism, to give us a view, to give us a framework, to give us a gestalt, to help us understand the bigger picture and the nuances going on in our world. Otherwise, it's not theology. If God is omniscient, if God is omnipotent, if God is all wise, if he's everywhere present and he's given us a book that reflects who he is and his book warns us, shouldn't we see God's view in everything going on in the world? And I love what David said in Psalm 19, moreover, O Lord, by them, that is your word, your servants are warned. You and I are being warned right now, are we not? We get to read history and say, hmm, am I in that position? You see, this is this is an opportunity to change. You come to class so you can be enlightened in reality. Today, our dear sister is about to be illuminated in falsehood, which is exactly the culture I live in today. This deconstructionist postmodern culture that not only denies objective reality relevant to the traditional sources by which we can understand the world accurately, but it has the audacity to change the rules, redefine the terms, and recreate everything over in its own image. Anybody keeping up with me? Look at the text very carefully because it speaks. This is what we call wisdom. He says, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguile Eve through his subtlety. I'm going to be going back there. So your minds should be what? So you understand now the historical narrative as the apostle under inspiration of the Holy Ghost is teaching. He's not saying that you and I ought to get caught up in the historical narrative as a fable. He's not saying you and I should be wrestling with whether or not that was a real snake. He's saying you need to derive the principles from it because this is not about the movement there. It's about the mind now because the mind becomes the helm upon which some authority controls you and leads you in the right way or the wrong way. Now, we have a longstanding uh, assignment in scripture as to how the devil works. Very few times are you going to read about the devil where his zoomorphic identity is not a snake. Very few times are you going to read in the Bible where his zoomorphic, somebody tell me what zoomorphism means, animal forms, animal shapes. And that's why Revelation calls him that that devil, that serpent, that that lying dragon, that snake. That is your oriental image of this monster, this this beast. 
that shows up in Genesis 3 again in Revelation 12. And Jesus called him the serpent all through the scriptures as well. So we know the serpent is more than a mere literal creature in terms of its attributes, its characteristics, because now that literal serpent has been occupied by a spiritual enemy and used in the opening narrative to teach us something about how he craftily caused our first parents to fall and how he's been doing that from then to now because he is the father of lies. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street here in Hayward, the zip code 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area, as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.